tell me one thing, Burke? You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. It's just one of those things managed to wipe out my entire crew in less than 24 hours. And if the colonists have found that ship, then there's no telling how many of them have been exposed. Do you understand? I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. Since the beginning of my love affair with cinema, I've been obsessed with making of documentary films and behind the scenes access. As a young boy, seeing puppeteers make Jabba the Hutt come alive was like seeing actual magic. I became spellbound. I've been spellbound since. I first heard of Charles de la Zurica many, many years ago. Transfixed with everything in the alien universe, I quickly consumed any behind the scenes documentary I could find. While watching and researching these films, one name kept appearing. Charles de la Zurica. His name was attached to every investigative alien documentary I could put my hands on. Whether it's The Beast Within, The Making of Alien, Superior Firepower, The Making of Aliens, The Making of Alien 3, or The Furious Gods, The Making of Prometheus, Charles became godlike to me. I would see him in photos and videos, always attached to an alien property. Later on, I would also discover that he would be primarily responsible for Dangerous Days, The Making of Blade Runner, and the producer of Blade Runner, The Final Cut. Legend became myth. So many of the films that have lived in my consciousness and haunted my dreams, Charles has lifted the curtain on. For me, when I think of Alien, when I think of Prometheus and Alien 3, Charles remains as a person who is responsible for the incredible access we've been given to see what the magicians do when no one is watching. I was honored to host this interview with him for Perfect Organism. You have worked with or worked on a lot of Ridley Scott properties uh, from the, from Kingdom of Heaven to, I mean, so many. Uh, I don't need to name them to you. Um, how did that happen? How did that, how did your journey with Ridley Scott start? Uh, it began uh, when I was at uh, USC Film School and um, I was, you know, quickly realizing that with graduation coming up, you know, I'd have to find a job. So I, uh, I did, internships at many different companies and um the one company that i seemed to uh find a good groove at was uh scott free um ridley and tony scott's company which was this back in 94 and uh you know this is i i went in that company basically uh as a huge fan um of alien and blade runner and you know even some of other ridley's other films like black rain um or thumb and louise and uh but I, I kind of went in there, you know, just really to like see if I could find a, a place to work, you know, and, and learn and, and grow. So uh, I began as an intern and then I became a script reader and then I started doing sort of like special projects and story notes for the company. And um, around 97 or 98 um, was when I got the first uh, sort of hints that uh, DVD was going to be a big Thing. And uh, and I was a you know a fan of Laserdisc, so it was an easy leap to go into DVD, especially with the interactive um, component of it and the ability to present a whole bunch of really interesting behind the scenes um, content. 
And I, um, you know, I, I brought it up with, with Ridley when, when the word in the street was Fox was going to do their first um, Alien box set. And this was for the 20th anniversary of Alien in 1999. And I just, I, I, I just mentioned it to him, not to get involved. I just said, you know, that, that there's going to be an Alien DVD in the works. And DVD is kind of like going to be this big thing that you need to be a part of because, you know, they're going to present your film and your work and, and then the behind the scenes of your, of your work um, in sort of this, this, this kind of like legacy format where, you know, people are going to be referring to this uh, for years and years. And, and at the time, uh, Fox was not probably the biggest uh, supporter of DVD. I think it's fair to say they became huge supporters of it. But at the time, there was a bit of a format war between DVD and this other format called DivX. Um, so they were, you know, they were kind of, they were going to take their first, first steps into doing DVDs. And I just thought really should be involved just to make sure that it was high quality. And then after I briefed him on the, the capabilities of DVD before he went to, you know, talk with Fox, he basically just turned to me and asked if I wanted to be in charge of it. And, um, cause he was leaving to go shoot Gladiator at that time. And, uh, I said, sure. Um, you know, cause I figured it was just one of many other little odd jobs that I was, I had been doing for him and the company. And then that just kind of evolved in this, this thing that's been like a part of my life for, you know, the last two decades. And, uh, and, you know, I made several, um, leaps forward in terms of not just supervising, but then eventually producing, uh, and then, um, being on location and, and doing all kinds of behind the scenes content and then also restoring, the films themselves and, and, and supervising the, uh, director's cuts and, and other, you know, alternate versions of his films and, uh, and others, other films. And, um, that just became my job. It's like, again, nothing I really planned to be a part of, but I kind of fell into it and it just seemed to, uh, take off for me. Is there, um, a film that's not related to alien or blade runner that you really just being behind the scenes and being involved in it, whether it's the, the behind the scenes doc or obviously you're on set and you're talking to people and you're in these sets and on location. Is there a particular memory that you have of doing that that stands out to you as like, man, this was kind of the best of the best. That's not alien or blade runner related. Yeah. I would have to say probably twin peaks. Um, that one, um, the new one, um, that was sort of a, a, a privilege, um, to be a part of and, um, you know, a very small part of it, but, but still just to, to be, um, you know, kind of a fly on the wall on that one was, was really, um, a powerful experience, um, and, and very inspirational. And then, um, trying to think what else, uh, and, and then, you know, <laughs> going 180 degrees from Twin Peaks, uh, Transformers three, um, actually was, a oh, wow. was a huge fun set to be on. Um, and to watch Michael Bay work, I mean, I know he gets a lot of grief from fans, um, you know, in terms of like maybe story or comedy or things that they maybe don't care for, but I think he's an actual, like, I mean, he's an amazing filmmaker when you see him at work and he, the way he marshals these forces, um, of, you know, huge crews and big practical effects and visual effects and then dealing with, you know, actors. And I mean, he, the guy is like a warrior on set and it's, it's pretty incredible to see, um, that in action, especially with so many people and, uh, and such scope. So it, it's been interesting for me to, to be on a, on small, more intimate, um, quiet sets and then to be on sets that are basically, it sounds like you're in the middle of a war. So, um, 
it's been a it's been a very interesting journey that I've been on. Pivoting back to your work with Ridley Scott and uh, your first endeavor with the Alien box set, and that's was my first uh, engagement with who you are. I as I started watching like The Beast Within and then Superior Firepower, I started I, connecting the dots because as fans you watch these things and you're like oh wow wow this is great and you're finding out all of this new information that you might not have known and then people like me uh who are interested in you know not just behind the scenes but well who's involved in all of it and then i'm seeing your name all over the place uh how did what did you kind of go sequentially in terms of directing these and putting together these behind-the-scenes doc, like the Beast Within, did you do Alien first, and or were you kind of getting um, interviews when you could, and then putting them together later? Yeah, it was the latter. It was um, it was all simultaneous, uh, all four of the movies. Um, we would, uh, you know, because sometimes certain people that we had to interview uh, were a part of multiple, you know, films of the mm -hmm. series. Um, I mean, I remember the very first interview uh, I conducted for that was Alan Ladd Jr., who was the head of Fox, and he's the one who greenlit Alien, um, which I think is kind of uh, poetic because for Dangerous Days, uh, making a Blade Runner, uh, he was also my first interview for that because he greenlit Blade Runner um, in his own way. So it's sort of like I love that Alan Ladd Jr. is my kind of ceremonial kickoff interview on, on both those series of movies. Um but, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, look, we put together a massive list of who we need to, you know, talk to. Um, and sometimes they want to be a part of it. Sometimes they need some convincing. Sometimes they don't want to be part of it. And then you kind of just try to schedule all that and try to figure out when and where, because these people are all over the world too. So, um, and in some cases I couldn't conduct the interviews cause they were just too far away to do just one interview. Like, um, for instance, uh, Roger Christian, who was the art director on Alien? Is that right? Am I getting that right? Um, he uh, was in India at the time, and uh, we couldn't, um, you know, send a crew to go all the way to India just to interview one person. It's just budgetarily not realistic. So we found a local crew, and and then sometimes when you hire local crews, they don't always understand the format. So if you look at Roger Christian's interview in um, in The Beast Within, you'll notice his his the framing of his interview of, of his headshot is super tight. It's mm -hmm. like super close up, and it's like and we, when we got the footage back, we were just all like in agony, like oh my god, what do these guys do? But the information was great, so that was important, and we just tried to, you know, you do the best you can um, with what you get. Um, but then of course, all the interviews that I was there for or that I conducted, you know, there's a there tends to be a bit of a consistency uh, with the the style of the interviews, so. That's why I try to do as many interviews as I can personally and not farm it out, um, which is unfortunately a, a reality when you're dealing with having to conduct 80 interviews, which is what I believe we did for the four Alien movies in the quadrilogy set. And then um, also on Dangerous Days, we did about 80, 80, 80 or so interviews. So it's like that's that's a lot you know, for any one person to do, especially when you're trying to do it all simultaneously and then you're dealing with the geography. Um, but yeah, it, it was all simultaneous over the course of about, I don't know, a year and a half, maybe on the alien set. That's impressive. That was my next question. What the time frame was typically with documentaries, um, because that's obviously what these are. Sometimes you're shooting for two and three years. 
um, because that's just how long it takes. But you're that that amount of interviews in that short period of time is impressive. Um, is there someone that you interviewed? Uh, just sticking with Alien, uh, and as I ask this question, I'm thinking about Veronica Cartwright. She seems very animated, very funny, very down to earth. I mean, they all seem like cool people. But is there anyone particular that you really had a, a great time with and had a you just felt like they were they just kind of made it fun? Um, man, that was like that's a tough question because there's so many people to think about. Um, but yeah, Veronica was fantastic. In fact. Um, I interviewed Veronica, Harry Dean Stanton, and Tom Skerritt all on the same day because it's the same day we recorded their audio commentary. Um, we were down in Santa Monica at this uh, at this post house, and we, we we recorded their audio commentary. And then I can't remember the order exactly, but like before the commentary, we recorded or we we shot interview with one of them, and then after we did like two of them. But um, but she was great. Um, I got to say, I loved interviewing Sigourney Weaver. She was, um, absolutely fantastic and so much fun and playful. And, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun at that interview. Also kind of rushed because again, you're dealing with logistics. That was the same day we recorded her commentary with Ridley. And, um, we had, you know, such a tight schedule because she was doing press, uh, for that movie she was in called, uh, holes, I believe. Yes. And um, she, uh, you know, she was game, but we had a limited time frame because of her and then Ridley showing up. And I was only as far as Alien 3 in our in the interviews uh, or in the interview sort of section of the day when Ridley showed up. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, I got to hurry it up because he doesn't want to be waiting around, you know, as I talk about Alien Resurrection. So um, I, I powered through three as fast as I could. And, and I just asked Sigourney, I said, you know, what do you what do you think about the resurrection thing? And she said, well, you have my EPK interview. Right. And I said, yeah. She says, why don't, you, why don't you use that? So that's why if you watch the Quadrilogy documentaries, when we get to Resurrection, there is no new interview with Sigourney because we just ran out of time, you know, um, which is a shame because it would have been great. There's things I wanted to talk to her about, about with Resurrection, but um, that's just the nature of the beast. Gotcha. Two teams, Ash, Lambert, and I, Ripley, you take Parker and Brett. Now, anyone see this thing or catch it in the net that Parker is holding in his lap? Parker, I don't want any heroics out of you, all right? Catch it, put it in the airlock. Get rid of it. Now, channels are open on all decks. I want you to communicate, keep in touch at all times, all right? Let's go. Speaking of resurrection, um, that documentary itself really stood out to me. Um, and it really stood out to me because, how do I phrase this? The, the feedback that a lot of the, and I would say more the crew than the cast, um, the feedback was very visceral. It was very much like, yeah, you know, we got together, it was this, it was that, and it really wasn't the film people were expecting. And I wonder how you how you were able to frame that. I mean, I know, and I, I know we talked about this before, um, and you, were, you, you had told me that, you know, you're, you know, we, you know, you get so far away from a film and you're able to talk about it uh, objectively and there's no bad blood or whatever, not to say that there was bad blood with resurrection, but people were very honest about their opinions of, of the final cut. And I, I, and the entire documentary was just a very interesting, uh, look at the way that that film was made. And it's, Again, somewhat like Alien 3, it's it's very storied. It's very legendary. I mean, it doesn't have quite as many problems. And I'm curious how that narrative played itself out. And if, did you have the freedom? I mean, obviously you did because we're talking about it. But to, 
for me, it was, and other people that I know who are fans of Alien, it's a very insightful documentary. One of the most insightful documentaries we've seen in terms of behind the scene, where people are honest about this thing that they made that they felt like they were making something great, and then they realized they weren't. Well, I mean, it's funny that you have that um, reaction to it because I got to be honest, most people tell me that the resurrection one feels like the safest and the uh, kind of like the, the least uh, contentious and controversial. And I would agree with them to some degree because I feel like um, with, with the exception of maybe two or three people in the interview, um, you know, they, it was still relatively fresh in their minds. And and um, I, I feel like it. I feel like Resurrection didn't quite have the same production problems that one, two, and three did because, first of all, Resurrection was shot in um, L.A. Mm-hmm. And, um, so therefore, I think just having it on the Fox lot made it a much more controlled um, environment um, that Ridley and Cameron Fincher didn't have shooting in the U.K. where they were away from the studio, and that there's, there's a little bit more kind of like. Um, I don't know, uh, wild west, I guess, in terms of you have like the, if there's any kind of conflict, it's, it's, it doesn't have that studio oversight where they kind of come in and weigh in on things. So resurrection seemed relatively safe compared to the first three in terms of a, an an environment. Um, of course there were certain days like the underwater shoot and went on a rider, you know, panicking because, uh, she thought she she was going to drown. And, uh, and then certain people on the crew were probably not happy with, um, the creative, alchemy um on the film um in terms of how it all came together which is which is why it's great to have certain voices in there like my friend uh sylvain de is is this amazing um conceptual artist and storyboard artist and a filmmaker in his own right that he, he that guy is completely uncensored i mean he'll he'll say what he thinks and that's what i love about him and then um, he uh and he provides that voice he's one of like two or three people that provides that voice in the resurrection documentary whereas in the other three i feel like feel like we have tons of voices of people talking about the problems and the the tension and the and the various issues but again as you point out correctly that on um the first three films there's enough distance where they can actually come back and and the wounds have healed um resurrection was probably still a little fresh um i mean what it was within six years i guess of it coming out so um maybe actually less when we shot the interview so um that's interesting that you think that because I, I i always look at resurrection as, as first of all i'm not a huge fan of the film itself and therefore i feel like i kind of failed the documentary side of it a bit because i didn't have that love that i could apply to the other films um so i kind of went through it more systematically like okay here's our story to tell here's the beginning here's the middle and the end it wasn't like that extra bit of geekiness that i I can sometimes get into on projects that i'm really you know madly in love with so um but i do feel like we we delivered in terms of um content in terms of seeing you know what it was like on set and and again that that was the benefit of it being a later alien film because the behind the scenes crew on that shot more um aggressively and comprehensively than say alien which had virtually no behind the scenes footage it had just a very limited amount of uh 16 millimeter footage i believe that uh was shot largely by giger's hr giger's uh girlfriend um at the time so um you know it's like you, that's the thing is like when you have with alien you have very little behind the scenes footage and you have to go to stills and outtakes and other types of clips to try to support your story Whereas with Resurrection, we had tons of behind-the-scenes footage, so we could easily, you know, show people what it was like. Who am I? You're a sting. 
a construct. They grew you in a fucking lab. Now they brought it out of you. Not all the way out. And your friend uh, that you were talking about, what's how do you pronounce his name again? Uh, Sylvain Dupre. Sylvain, okay. His interview particularly, I'm glad that you mentioned it, was the interview that really stuck out to me. And he was very honest. And again, maybe it's, you know, not being involved in any of that kind of thing on any level. You're used to kind of a certain narrative uh, in terms of even whether it's the HBO first look or kind of these behind the scenes things that these studios present. Everything's very positive. It's very... um, very glowing. And, you know, I think that there's a, a, a sp- space and time or a place and a time for that. Um, but his interview particularly was very much like, you know, hey, this is how it was. And I don't, you know, just everything that he said, it really was refreshingly honest. And I think that's why that documentary, to me, spoke to me more than the others. Because those other films, even Alien 3, were, in my opinion, triumphant. They're masterworks whereas resurrection wasn't and so then the question from fandom is well what happened why wasn't it good why did it suffer and your uh sylvan he he spoke to that and uh hearing someone speak so honestly about that um which makes me want to pivot into prometheus a little bit um was again for me and maybe not for you because you're kind of involved in that it was it was unprecedented it was unprecedented to see such honesty um, and I, I think that's important. I think fans think that and believe that that's important. But here's the thing is like, you know, you and I agree that Alien 3 is like, you know, I, I think Alien 3 is a, is a, it's a diamond in the rough, you know, it's mm-hmm. definitely, it's a, I think it's a, it's in its own kind of screwed up way, a brilliant film. And that's why I've always had a special love for, for it, fully acknowledging that it's a flawed film. Um, but I do see the greatness of it and I do think it's a, um, I do think it's a very uh, fitting end to a trilogy of, of Ripley stories. Um, but you have to realize we're in the minority on that. Mm-hmm. So it's like most people hate Alien 3 or at least uh, have kind of dismissed it. And, uh, and, 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 and frankly, I think that the honesty uh, is there across all four films and the documentaries. And, um, and I always try to bring that in every documentary I do. Um, and it's, it's never from a point of view of, of trying to be like, you know, salacious or to dig up dirt or to, you know, make people look bad. It's, it's always, I always approach it journalistically. And, and I think, um, you know, when, when, when studios come out with their behind the scenes content to help promote the film, obviously it's going to be very upbeat and, and positive and, and it's going to basically try to sell people on how great the film is. But I feel like when you're in the home video realm and you're on the, the DVD or the Blu-ray side of things, people have already, most people have already seen the movie they're buying the disc for, especially if it's a special edition, you know, super loaded, slightly more expensive disc. But, um, I also believe that that's the time to stop selling the movie mm-hmm. and start and start establishing the the history and the legacy of the film. And, uh, and frankly, if I'm buying a disc, I don't want to be sold the film again. I don't want to be told how, how great it is. I want to, find out how it was made and what went into it and what were the problems that that were eventually overcome. And I think that's the triumph. It's like, I, I think the triumph is when you have people who are challenged, uh, you know, every film, every film is, is very difficult to make. It's a miracle. Any film gets made, but when you have a, a film that has an extra level of ambition and it goes through a really problematic and tough, uh, shoot, 
and where, where people might have clashed and people might have had words. But then you come through all that tension and you come up with a film that uh, connects with people. Um, I don't see why it's wrong to explore the problems that those people went through, because it's, it's more it's more of a victory that they went through the darkness and they came out into the light versus everything was awesome. Everyone's a genius. Everyone was great. There's no there's no achievement with that. There's absolutely no achievement with everything being honky dory, you know, but if there was, if there were problems and there were challenges and there were issues that were overcome, it's, it's, I think it's fascinating to learn and inspirational, frankly. And it, and it shows you that anybody, if they put their mind to it, um, and they're willing to really work hard, uh, can do it. I would agree. And, uh, you know, my perspective on things again, probably echoes a lot of you know, just like you said, you know, people are going to buy the disc they're, or buy the film. They're very into the movie. They're, you know, they want to kind of hear more. They're, they've already been sold. So they've been sold enough that, like, for instance, with Prometheus, I actually didn't even particularly like Prometheus enough. Like, what got me to buy that DVD was The Furious Gods. Um, and it was like three hours and 40 minutes, however long it was. And I was like, this is why I'm buying this DVD, because I'm interested as to what happened behind. But before I, I kind of get into Prometheus, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Alien 3. And I know you were kind of involved with putting together the assembly cut. I really appreciate your affections. But I am aware that they deflected my question in the nicest possible way, of course. Spoiling the mood. I have a job to do. Hmm. I just want to know why we had to cremate the bodies. And now that I'm in your cot, you think I owe you an answer? I think you owe me an answer. Being in my bed's got nothing to do with it. <sighs> I had a terrible dream in hypersleep. And I had to be sure what killed her. And as you researched Alien Three, did you did you have a, an audience? Did you were you able? Not a, obviously he didn't wasn't interviewed, but were you able to have any communication with David Fincher before you kind of immersed yourself into that? Um, I tried. Believe me, I tried. Uh, I, I I reached out through every Fincher contact I had, um, which wasn't many, but um, I wrote a letter to him, this really impassioned letter as to why we were doing this. Fox was in communication with his office as well. And basically it boiled down to sort of two and a half messages, which, which were basically um, his first one was you can do whatever you want with it. It's not my movie. So, you know, he gave his, I wouldn't say his blessing. He just, he, he just said he doesn't care. It's not his. So that, that at least gave us the freedom to begin the project. Um, but I was around the same time I was working on the um, the DVD special edition of another film called uh, One Hour Photo, uh, directed by Mark Romanek, and and Mark uh, is an associate or they, you know he's a he's a uh, you know colleague of sorts with Fincher. I mean they I think they were working at the same offices for a while or I don't know, but they're you know they're contemporaries, they're directors, they're you know they're they're, they're peers. So I thought you know Mark having a, a connection with Fincher, he would be able to maybe just put in the good word. And then sure enough, um, I don't know, like a week or two after Mark said that he had said something, I unfortunately was not in the office for this phone call, but I, I got a voicemail from Fincher directly. And it was just basically saying, um, 
Charles, this is David Fincher. I hear you want to talk to me about Alien 3. And it was like that drawn out. It was like so like you could just tell he was just like dreading that conversation. And um, and that was the the entirety of the message. And I, you know, called back and we just never connected. Um, and uh, it was interesting like that. I mean, he at least sort of made the, the slight attempt to talk to me. But um, it was I, I you can just tell he did not want to revisit what was obviously a painful experience for him. And I totally understand and, and respect that. Um, so all I could do with the restoration of that assembly cut is just try to capture um, where the film was at that stage in the process before the test screenings, before all the studio notes on the screening, because obviously the film had a, a heavy studio and producer uh, presence throughout the development phase, throughout pre-production, throughout production. I mean, there was a no, there was no point on the film where Fincher had everything free and clear creatively. Um, he was always, you know, under the shadow of, of the studio and the producers. So, um, I get it like that. He didn't want to be a part of it. We just, we just had to try and we did try. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then a couple of times we, we had a little bit of back channel, like, I wouldn't say communication exactly, but for instance, one thing was we had heard a rumor that um, Fincher's preferred version of Alien 3 would not have any score in it. Um, so we were going to ask, should we take out the Golden Ball, the amazing, you know, Golden Ball music? And and we kind of like snuck that message to his office. And then apparently he was around when that message came in and his response apparently was, I didn't hear it myself, but that's insane. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that was never the plan. So, um, so we kept the music in, you know, it's like things like that. We, we, we had very minor third, fourth, fifth degree, you know, um, I wouldn't even call it input, but just, you know, word uh, of, of sorts. So that was kind of it. All of, all the rest of it was more like movie archeology. span was going through the, the cut as, as it existed and then trying to, uh, polish it up and make it presentable for, uh, for home video. And, and fortunately we had two, bite to that apple we we had the quadrilogy dvd version which um unfortunately had bad production sound for the for all the the new deleted scenes that were being you know reintegrated into the cut um and uh and we didn't have a full we didn't have a full proper sound mix so um when the blu-ray um project came about for the, the anthology um fortunately fox was very generous to let us go back in and try to fix the um the audio and we were able to actually bring back uh, Sigourney Weaver and Lance Henriksen and Charles Dance and re-record their their dialogue, loop their dialogue for the the new scenes and um, and that was amazing. That was an amazing process to be a part of. Um, and then also do a proper mix on the new scenes as well because for instance there's the scene where um, the prisoners trap the alien in the toxic waste dump and uh, uh, you know there's a one of the prisoners gets like we he's basically like the bait and he runs into the, the, the dump and then they, they close the hatch and then they all kind of like listen. And in the original DVD version of that, there just, there's like silence. I mean, there's listening to nothing, but the, the intention was always to have the prisoner basically being, you know, mauled to death behind the door. So that was something that could be addressed in the, uh, in the Blu-ray remix. Um, so the alien, the alien three assembly cut that's on the Blu-ray, I think is really a great experience. And I think that's actually, the preferred version, certainly for me. And I think that if you want to give Alien 3 a chance, that's the version to watch. Listen to me, you piece of shit. You screw with me one more time, I'll cut you in half. I'm sorry, I don't think I understand. At 0700 hours, I received word from the network. 
I may point out this is the first high-level communication this installation has ever received, to my knowledge. They want this woman looked after. They consider her to be very high priority. Why? I have no idea. And there's a really a resurgence, um, and I would call it, frankly, love for Alien 3. Uh, I know Bloody Disgusting ran a piece about uh, re-engaging Alien 3 and how it really stands at the test of time. And it's a very unique sequel. Um, I've gone on, on myself, on 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 my show and others just talking about how different alien three was from where aliens really took a lot of cues from alien. There's even some story beats and visual things happening in aliens that happened in alien. Whereas Fincher said, Hey, well, we, I want to do something completely different. And I, and I, I would argue that that store, the score that golden thaw uh, accomplished is the best score of the series. It's unbelievable. And it's has no callbacks to, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, it, it's his own thing. And I, I, Alien 3 is my favorite of the trilogy, to be honest with you. Um, I, I find it uh, fascinating. And it's one of those things, as you discussed, Fincher, when I see, when I watch Alien 3, which is actually a hard film to watch, even though it's my favorite, um, just, I see so much love and attention brought to the character of Ripley. Um, the way his camera moves around her, the way he frames her, there's a warmth about the way he's shooting her. And a care. And it's a care that I didn't see Cameron... Not that, you know, he had a different intention, obviously. And it's no slight... I mean, I love Aliens. Um, but there's just something about Alien 3 that I feel like it's this film that was born of struggle. Much like, you know, the original Star Wars. There was so much struggle and so much... So many things happening that it was amazing that that film, the original film, came about. And I, I feel the same way about Alien 3. And I have this... I wish Fincher could know how much it's appreciated, even though he believes it's not his film anymore. So I, I just kind of wanted to input that in. And I'll piggyback that with a question. Did you ever discuss with Sigourney Weaver those times of her filming with him and how she views it now? Well, I mean, you know, during the interview uh, for uh, what's now known as Wreckage and Rage, uh, Making Alien 3, um, during that, that interview that I mentioned earlier, where we were powering through the first three movies, um, you know, she, she talked about it and obviously I wish I'd had another hour with her to get, you know, more detailed about it. But, um, you know, she, I think she had nothing but the highest opinion of, of Venture and thought that he was actually, you know, a, a genius and that she would do anything for him. And I, and I, and I think that shows in the performance. I mean, I think, um, a lot of people, look at these visual stylist directors like Fincher or Ridley and they just assume that they all, they only care about the camera. And I think it's pretty evident that they actually, um, are, you know, all over every aspect of the film, including the performances and, and working with the actors. And if you even watch, uh, the documentary and, and you, and you watch some of the B roll of the, like the behind the scenes B roll and you just see the way Fincher and Sigourney are engaged with each, with each other discussing a scene. I, I find it to be very um, sincere and not just, um, okay, you stand here and the camera's going to be over here and then you do this and you do that. They're, it looks like they're having a meaningful discussion about the motivations of the characters from moment to moment. And um, and I think that's the sign of any great director and I think it's a sign of a great actor. You know, and between the two of them, I think that's why, in my opinion, I think Sigourney's uh, performance in Alien 3 is probably her best 
in the series. I mean, she was not, you know, she was nominated for best actress for aliens. And I think a lot of that has to do with, it was a kind of a pioneering role. Um, and I think people were not expecting like that level of performance from, you know, an alien sequel. And I think the thing that Cameron and, and everyone in that film did was just defy expectations and just, you know, kind of blow the doors off the expectations of what an alien sequel could be. And in many ways, I think that's, that also was the curse of everything that came afterwards was, you know, suddenly the expectations were so different and so um, extreme that, uh, you know, it was very, like, I feel like the creative headspace that you would need to be a director on an alien film suddenly became so hyper analyzed. And, and I think in a, in a way that Ridley and, and Cameron kind of like had, um, you know, they had their, they had their own battles, obviously that they had to fight, but I also feel like their vision was so strong and unprecedented that it kind of, people couldn't quite identify it yet. It was like, they didn't know what an alien film truly was. Um, and after those first two connected so well, I think a lot of, uh, cooks got into the kitchen and, uh, started, chiming in on what they thought. And that's probably why things got more and more uh, difficult with each new sequel. In my opinion, I, I could be talking out my ass. I don't know. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite scene in Alien 3? Or maybe one of a few? I mean, look, I love most everything between um charles dance and, and sigourney river um i think um you know clemens and, and ripley have a really interesting all too brief relationship and um kind of how gentle he is with her i, I really I just, I just love that kind of delicacy in the uh delicacy is that the right word or is that a food i can't i don't really, <laughs> can't remember um yeah but like that you know that that kind of like uh that just tenderness um is uh is so apparent and it's so unusual for an alien film you know it almost reminds me of uh the deleted scene from alien where um ripley kind of comforts uh lambert mm -hmm. um and and it's you know that there's like this really tender moment between the two of them which is so unlike anything in the in the rest of that film which is why that's probably a deleted scene and why i got cut out um or even ripley and newt you know like the the, the gentleness between the two of them so it's like I, I find that when you have these really dark scary um edgy movies um i always enjoy the the human moments like that where it just take the movie takes a breath and reminds us that these aren't just action figures on a play set you know these are actually people that are in a, a serious situation so um so that's that I, I enjoy like the 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 clemens ripley scenes i like um i actually i really like the montage the cremation um montage for uh for hicks and newt's bodies i think the when when Fincher went all sort of like superimposition on it, it kind of reminded me a bit of Apocalypse Now. I've just seen like faces, you know, on top of each other. Um, but uh, yeah, it's funny. Whenever people ask me what, you know, like best of lists and what do you like of this and that, I, I always get it wrong because I, I didn't have time to think about it. But like that's my my gut answer for you. Yeah, that's 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 a great answer. I mean, I, I, I would confess that uh, my love for the Alien series pivots around my love for Ripley. Not that the series can't live a life without her, and I think it should. But uh, when the series was the best, at least with the first three, um, it was because it was chronicling her story. And I think that's that those moments that you saw that you mentioned are fantastic. Um, I want to kind of pivot into Prometheus because it was actually, even though it's called Prometheus, obviously it's the first Alien film that Ridley Scott 
did, and it's his first foray back into science fiction. So it was, there was a lot going on. You know, I, I remember right where I was when it was announced, the, the hype, the, the hype machine, the promotion machine. And so my first question would, would be, how did, was it just this kind of natural progression with your involvement with all of these other documentaries and behind the scenes things that you would just kind of go out there on, in, on location with Ridley? Or how did that, how did the, the initial uh, stages for that documentary begin? Well, um, if I recall correctly, it began um, as I was working on the uh, behind-the-scenes documentary for Robin Hood, and I interviewed Ridley on the day that actually they announced that there was going to be an Alien prequel, and I just asked him about it. I said, really? You're going to do an Alien prequel, huh? And he said, yep, and then we kind of just started talking about it, and then I said, well, look, I'd love to start documenting this like early and often, and uh, as it turns out... Um, I had about almost, I think it was more than a year, maybe a year and a half of pre-production time to document. Um, so I was there very early on, um, and and I was doing it on my own dime, basically. This, the you know, Fox was, they might have been aware I was doing it, but they were not. I was not officially hired by Fox at that point. I was just documenting it because I felt like once it's gone, it's gone forever. You know, and I and I, I want to capture these moments. I want to see the whole evolution of an alien film, especially Ridley's return to science fiction after so many years. Um, it was special for me. I was willing to go, you know, the extra mile. And I and I, I, I was just so intrigued and curious as, as to what this new film is going to be. So generally, my first stop um, on on those films or on, on the, the, the Ridley films I worked on, um, the, the new ones would be Arthur Max, the production designer and the art department, because they've got what basically this war room with all the art up on the walls in mostly kind of sequential story order. So you can just literally just walk around the room and get the story, even if it's not um, the real conceptual art that would later be made by artists for the film, it'd be references to other movies or other books or, or artists or other sources, whatever it was. And I, and I remember vividly walking around the art department, um, war room that, or not the, you know, like the kind of like the conference room that they were in. And I saw these, um, these frames of like these giant, um, Michelangelo David style, you know, figures. And I did, I, I couldn't even imagine what those were doing in an alien film. And, um, and I asked Arthur, I said, so what, what are these guys? And, and he's like, those are the engineers. And I, and it, I remembered, Ridley referring to the space jockeys as, the, as engineers. And I thought, wait, these are the space jockeys. And, and, um, Arthur said, yep. And then that began, that was like, again, that was like a, probably a year and a half before shooting even began. So I had to wrap my head around the space jockey thing, um, early. So, which is why I was sort of prepared, like when, you know, to see that evolve and to see it be, to see those guys on set and then to see the reaction from the fans. I was, I was not caught off guard by the reaction. So it was, uh, it was interesting like to be there that early on and just to be able to witness it and document it. And that's why I think um, furious gods has that extra level of, of attention is because I just had so much footage from that year or so of pre-production before shooting even began. So you know, going into shooting, I already was really well aware of the film and, and the stories and, and the ideas that had developed and had been abandoned and then changed and all these things. And um, so it was, a, it was a, I have to say, being on the set of Prometheus was one, some of the most fun 
I've ever had simply because um, I felt so deeply immersed. And then on top of that, um, to see those sets in real life and to walk, you know, the sets of like the, uh, the juggernaut, you know, the engineer ship and then the, uh, the Prometheus itself. And just to, 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 you know, not even just to say I was there, but I mean, just to like, feel like, man, this is like, imagine being on set in 1978 and walking around like the Nostromo sets, you know, and thinking, wow, that's like such a film geek history moment that I just, I just, you know, want to covet. And I, and I've always told people, I said, you know, if I go, if I had a time machine and I go back in time to document Alien, I would have been there every day shooting like crazy. So that's how I treated Prometheus, as though I went through my time machine and I went back to 1978. And this was this was me documenting Alien. It was just it just happened to be Prometheus and it happened to be in the year 2011. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's that was, that's kind of how I got into Prometheus. And uh, I, for the record, that documentary, The Furious Gods, is probably the most satisfying documentary I've ever seen, um, just because it's it's everything. It's everything. And I'm not just talking about everything, the making of it. Uh, narratively, it's satisfying. You, you know, if there's frustrations, if there's questions, all of those are addressed. Um, and so it, it was great. You, you, you did a fantastic job. I mean, I know it wasn't just you. But I just I don't know what kind of feedback you've received, uh, but it's it's a fairly incredibly received documentary in terms of the alien fan community, which I don't know how much you are involved with or know about. But uh, so I just thought I would let you know about that at least. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. And I, and I do. I mean, I, I check in with like AVP Galaxy and, uh, and and some of the other boards and things. I mean, especially it was funny during the making of Prometheus. I shared an office uh, with uh, Carrie Brown, the still photographer, and Stacy Mann, the publicist, and and I was like again the, the nerd in the room, and I was always looking at like the IMDb boards and AVP boards, and just like monitoring what fans were saying about Prometheus. And uh, it was really sometimes it was really funny, other times it was scary because sometimes you know people were trying to either find ways to sneak on set or they were you know that fake Alien Harvest script got out that. Yeah was supposedly the real script and people were like basing that you know people were betting their lives like that was the real script and then why isn't the studio you know killing it or why didn't they you know acknowledge that you know it's like it was kind of ridiculous all like the overthinking people were doing so uh it was funny but it was also a little scary at the time but yeah i was i was very um aware of the of the the fan commentary during it and after because i'm always curious what the reaction is yeah uh and oddly enough it's funny you guys featured a uh or in the documentary, you featured a couple of posts that I made on that uh, AVP Galaxy forum. Because before this podcast, it, you know, I, I was a very active user, and my handle for that uh, forum was this Bethesda C. Um, oh, I, I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember when the, the doc came out, and Aaron Percival, the, you know, the the site runner for AVP he was like, Hey man, your a couple of your posts have gotten featured on this documentary. I was like, Oh wow. And of course I saw, it and I was like, Oh, that's great. You know? And I, it fandom was a very interesting time. It was very exciting. It's very exciting to uh, be a part of 
Ridley's first or be a part of the fandom when Ridley Scott is going to re-enter science fiction. I mean, essentially, for all intents and purposes, the master of science fiction film is coming back to it. Um, and just to be a part of that excitement was really a great thing. Um, did you, were you, what, what was your opinion of Prometheus afterwards? And if you don't want to talk about that, that's fine. Um, no, I mean, look, I, again, it was, I, I was so, um, aware of its evolution and every part of it. And, you know, I saw early cuts of the film. I even gave Ridley my thoughts on like the near final cut of the film. So it was sort of like, I, I was pretty like, it, it's kind of hard for me to have an honest opinion about it because I, I was just, you know, it, it's like the, the thing about you throw a frog into a, in a pot of water and it doesn't notice that the, when you're boiling it, like the temperature gets mm -hmm. hotter. It was like that for me. It was sort of like I felt like I wasn't I wouldn't I wasn't even aware of what was happening um, in the big picture uh, of the film because I was so focused on the, the, the micro of it that when it came out and, and it got the kind of controversial divided uh, reaction it did. I wasn't surprised. And, and of course, I wasn't surprised by either side, the, the side that said they thought it was a, a heady, uh, beautiful, you know, looking uh worthy successor of the alien films and then those people who thought it was not and <laughs> thought it was the exact opposite and thought it was you know a dumbed down cherry to the gods type movie so i get it i get all sides i understand it and um and i don't really have a uh hot take on it uh i, I decided my, my only thing is that you know it was a it was a fun experience um it was a it was a really great project to be a part of from my perspective, from the documentarian perspective. And I think that the film itself has some really great artistry behind it. I think it's shot beautifully. I think the production design, the costume design is great. Um, it's a hell of a cast. Um, you know, I, I just do wonder what it would have been like with um, John Spate's original script, if that would have been more to people's liking, or if, uh, I don't know, if it was less, um, less of a retcon of the space jockey engineer culture. Um, uh, I still like the, you know, the, the nine year old in me still wishes to see a movie with like these, you know, 16 foot tall elephantine creatures, uh, on some Giger designed world. That's not what we saw in Prometheus. So, um, you know, it, it's, I, it, it's, it's so hard to be, um, objective, um, with that. I just like, and, 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 and not only that, I can't even formulate a real opinion because, um, I'm not even sure. I, I saw so many different versions of the film. It's sort of like, well, which version am I even mm -hmm. talking about anymore? And, and if you say, well, what's the, what do you think of the final version? It's like, well, it's a version of another version of a different version that I saw earlier. So it's, it kind of gets ruined. That's the downside of being like a behind the scenes documentarian is like some of it gets ruined. Um, that, that, that initial like virgin response to a film is kind of destroyed. And um, that's why sometimes when I work on a film, they, they bring me in late you know, where they bring me in, like, in the post-production phase and the film's already together, I, I do get the initial, like, wow, here's here's the film, you know? And with Prometheus, it was such a gradual, you know, crawl that um, I never really got that that wonderful first experience with it. And I know it's not like I'm politically just kind of, like, dancing around giving a real answer, but that's kind of the truth of it, you know? Like, yeah, I, I completely, I, I, I absolutely understand. Uh, it's it's kind of like you're a cook and you're making the food, and then by the, by the time the dish is done you're like oh okay you know I, I i absolutely understand what you're saying um and uh to your point or to your points i i will say 
I of the prequels films, Prometheus to me is the most focused. It's the most beautiful. Uh, it's really it's an enjoyable film just to see um, in the aesthetics. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's just, it's got a better, better narrative, uh, in, in my opinion, um, in terms of the prequel films. Um, and with your documentary, what I love, I continue to explore Prometheus because, uh, the documentary is so much fun. It's so much fun to hear so many different opinions, so many different, so much passion, really. That's the, the point. So much passion, uh, whether it's, uh, Carlos Huente or, um, Neville Page, I mean, all of these guys and, you know, Arthur Max and so many people who are involved in kind of bringing this thing to life and the fun that they were having and, you know, talking to some of the other artists who were kind of hesitant about recreate or re-engineering, excuse the pun, the, the, the engineers and the space jockey chair and the changes that went into the chair and just all of that, the, the, the reverie for it. Um, as they approached it to kind of change it a little bit. Um, and that's, it was just, it was just a wonderful thing to kind of feel like you're a part of as an audience member. Um, so yeah, uh, that's my opinion on Prometheus. Well, that's all that I have. Uh, again, thank you so much for being a part of this and taking time out of your day. Um, you have someone I've been wanting to talk to for a few, I think I sent you a, a, an email on AOL, like, five years ago. Um, and you were, we were going to do this over, uh, like a, a, a written interview. So this is fantastic to be able to speak to you in person. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Thanks for uh, your interest. and your. For more on this and our other projects, please visit www.perfectorganism.com. If you'd like to join the conversation, find us on our closed Facebook group, Building Better Worlds. To support the show, please consider visiting www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. We've got some great perks available. And as always, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing this show. We can't tell you how much your support means to us, but we can hopefully show you by continuing to provide better, more ambitious, and more dynamic content for years to come.